Good morning, everyone. Um, I need to ask for your grace this morning. I need it every morning, but today especially. Um, yesterday I was getting ready to finish my lecture, and I opened up my computer, and my lecture wasn't there. It was completely gone. So I, uh, I had to begin again. And it normally takes me about four or five days to do a lecture over a period of time, putting things together. So I just want you to know that we're going to do the best we can today. So um, thank you for your patience ahead of time. And uh, we're, we're going to, uh, I, I'll be in all honesty, uh, I probably did this, it was some sort of subconscious thing because I was not happy with my lecture, but I didn't mean that I wanted to do it over. But okay, so that's that's where we are. So let's see if we can get started. Anyway, let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Father, um, I thank you that you are the sovereign living God. And I thank you that even in these days, even in this particular situation, that you are present and powerful and you know what you are doing. So, Lord, I just pray that you will be with us this morning. I pray that there is something for someone here, maybe several people, that will be important, that they learn, that will help them to love you better. Father, I pray you will give me peace. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that you will be glorified today. Father, I also pray for our church. I pray for it to be that we will grow deeper in love with one another, that we will learn to care, carry one another's burdens. I pray that we will be a light into this community and a light into this city. So, Lord, would you be with us now and help us to learn from Paul? For he was a light in so many parts of the world, and we are so thankful for his words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as I was going through the week and kind of studying chapter 2 and thought about the journey, I, I started thinking about the journey that had brought Paul to Thessalonica. I mean, there was lots of things that had gone on, and, and I started thinking about how how about God's sovereignty in the life of Paul and how, I guess, that God was just, his loving purpose was that the gospel would go out into all the world. And, and I just thought about Paul and this second, this second missionary journey, how he went, he started and he was, he was starting out and there were places that God wouldn't let him enter. I don't know what that meant. I don't know what what kept him from entering, but he didn't enter. And then, and then the, he had this vision of this man praying in Macedonia and, and saying, come and help us. And so they head to Macedonia. And, and he goes to Macedonia, and you think, oh, he's doing the Lord's will, and he's going, and he was. But he came to Philippi, and what happened there? He was sharing the gospel, and, and Lydia became a Christian there, and, and things were going well. And then there was this girl who was following him, this young girl, and he cast a demon out of her, and that was trouble. And he was thrown into prison because the leaders didn't like that because they were going to lose a lot of money. 
And so it seems, what are you doing, Lord? And he was thrown in, and, and he and Silas were put in stocks, and they were in prison, and they were praying and singing, and an earthquake came. And the doors opened, and the stocks fell off. That, that's a powerful God. That's hard to understand, isn't it? We, in our natural world, it's hard for us to guess, grasp hold that that really happened in space, time, and history, but it did. We believe that it did. And all of a sudden, the, the jailer is ready to kill himself because he thinks the prisoners are gone. And Paul cries out, we're still here. And he shares the gospel, and the jailer becomes a Christian. I mean, people, God cared about that jailer becoming a Christian. I think that's so amazing. And I just, I, 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 I love those kinds of stories. I love, I love that, that God meant for, for this gospel to go forth. It was not just for the Jews. No, this was a gospel that was to go forth in every tongue and in every tribe and in every nation. And the most amazing thing about God preparing this gospel to go forward was how he was going to send it forward. He was going to use broken vessels like Paul. And he was going to use broken vessels like you and myself. That he was going to use people who desperately needed the gospel in their own lives and therefore passionately long to share it with others. Now, I I need to tell you, I don't always have a passion to share the gospel. I, in fact, I'm pretty bad at that. And yet, this this has caused me to begin thinking about that and praying about that in my life. Because, you see, when we share the gospel, we're showing forth the idea that we know its power and its beauty and its freedom and the amazing love that God has for us. And so when we go out, and, and when, when in Paul's time where people was, when he was going out, and when other people started sharing the gospel, it was because they had experienced the power in their life. Think back to what Paul was doing back in the very beginning, before he had the encounter with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And let me remind you what was going on. It's pretty amazing. What was Paul doing? He was ravaging the church of Jesus Christ. He was entering into house after house, and he was dragging out men and women and having them thrown into prison because they were following the one who had died and had risen again, the Lord Jesus. And they were being thrown in prison by Paul. And then what else did he do? Well, he, he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And this was Paul's passion. This was consuming passion for Paul. This is what he thought about. He was going to destroy this new cult because he thought it was against all that he knew. And so on that day, there came a day that he was on his way to Damascus. And you know what he was doing in Damascus? He was going to Damascus to to take men and women and take them back to Jerusalem and have them meet before the Sanhedrin and be thrown into prison. And what happened? Well, Paul met a huge roadblock. He would not finish that mission because the Lord had a far greater mission for him. You see, 
Here's what we have to understand is Paul thought he was doing the Lord's work. He did. He had a zeal for God. And, and when Paul does something, one of the things we learn about throughout the scriptures now is Paul doesn't hold back. I mean, when Paul does something, he does it with all that he is. But you see, he was here, he was missing a piece, the biggest piece. He was missing that Jesus was the Messiah. This, he was the promised one that his people had been waiting for generation after generation after generation. And here the Lord, the Messiah, meets Paul on that road to Damascus. And a blinding light shines around him. It flashed from heaven and Paul is blind. And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul said, who are you, Lord? And the answer was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now think about it. Think about what a piercing encounter that was for Paul. What an overwhelming moment. A moment when Paul knew he had been wrong. He had had all these people thrown into prison and here was the risen Christ talking to him. Paul became something that is that would not if we would have seen Paul before and seen him after, we never would have believed. But he became one of the most powerful proclaimers and defenders of Christianity. And still the Lord uses his words to point us to our only hope in life and in death. And he points us to this one called the Son of the Living God. Now, at the same time that this was happening to Paul, where he had been blinded by this light, there was a disciple named Ananias. And Ananias was called in a vision to go to Saul and to lay hands on him so that he would see again. But Ananias was a little hesitant, probably a lot a lot afraid of Paul because he knew how much evil Paul had done to the saints. But here's what the Lord said. He said, Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God always had his eye on Paul. In all of those times, God had his eye on him. And he knew him before the foundation of the world, and he knew who Paul would become. And Paul's life from then on was a life given to to sharing the glory of Christ. It consumed him, because that's who Paul was. That's who God knew. Paul was a brilliant man. God knew that he was a brilliant man. He brought, and, and in this new focus of his and this new power that had filled him he did suffer much he was he was stoned he was thrown into prison he was left for dead it was still his joy and his life it was his calling and he could do no other and my friends first to my own heart but also to yours is to say what about you What about me? Is that our passion today? Do we have a passion to 
tell people about Jesus Christ? Or do we kind of like to stay in our little cluster and kind of think, let someone else share the gospel? That's who I am. That's what I do. Do you have that purpose in your heart? That's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together. Our verse, we're going to use one verse today that, um, that we're going to talk about, and this is in verse 13, and here's what it says. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is that work in you who believe. There's another passage on your handout that I've put down here, and that is from Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what God's word does for us. That's why that when we read God's word, there's something that happens. When you, when you are sorrowful and you're struggling and you go to God's word, there is something that happens there. There is a peace that can come to you. And Paul, Paul, when he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians and he wrote this, he wanted those people to know that this is the word of God. And it is, it is what it really is, that you heard it and you accepted it and keep accepting it because it is true. It is the word of God. Ephesians, this is a prayer of, of Paul's, and I, and, and I like to hear this, this prayer that he prays from Ephesians. I love this. But hear him praying it and that it's being prayed into me as I read God's word. Here's what it says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that prayer is for us, that prayer is that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that we, we would do Im- immeasurably more than we could think or ask. And that means that we have the power to go out And pray that God would let us share the gospel with someone that it is meant to take root in their hearts. It's an incredible promise. Those verses are important in our lives, especially in our culture today. We see around us our cultures. I don't know. It's a surprising culture to me today. However, as we see every day, 
we can think about these words and we think about how ridiculous these truths are to the majority of those in our culture and in cultures throughout the world. People heard us today, they would think we are crazy. This is not a word that would come forth in our cultures. Absolute truth is a nonsense concept in today's world. In a quote from David Wells, in a book he writes, and he's writing, this is what he's, what what I'm going to read to you is, he is talking about what is driving kind of a, a spirituality in people today. And what you're going to hear is everything that is antithetical to what we believe. Okay, he says, spirituality in the contemporary sense makes no truth claim and seeks no universal significance. It lives out its life within the confounds of a private experience. Its truth is private, not public. It is for the individual. It's not to be shared. It's not for the universe. The spiritual journey in this contemporary sense does not begin with what has been given from outside by the living God. And it is not meant to be an eternal truth. Rather, it begins with self, it begins in the soil of human autonomy, and it gives to the self the authority to decide what to believe and from what sources to draw knowledge and inspiration, and how to test the viability of what is believed. The result is that this kind of spirituality is inevitably experimental. And what validates it? Well, If it makes you happy, that's what validates it. If it fits you, and if it doesn't, then you begin to change it. You mix and you match. You discard or you reappropriate ideas in an endless process of searching and experimenting about what spirituality works for you that day. Those who live in this self-spirituality are resolute in its opposition to have to... This is their, the one thing they will not do. They will not submit to an external religious authority. There is no absolute truth. Truth is what works for the moment. Now, as I say all of that, that's just a portion of what people are believing today. And the answer is this. How do we share the gospel in a culture like that. It seems overwhelming. It seems almost impossible to do that. And the answer that comes from Scripture is, we share God's truth. And I don't want to make this sound overly simple, because evangelizing individuals can be a a love journey over a long period of time. And it can take years, perhaps, But nothing, nothing will finally bring them to him except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says this in Romans 1, 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Not by feeling, not by your own ideas, but by faith 
and the gospel that comes to you from above. Second Peter 1, 16 to 21. For we did not follow <clears throat> cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on this sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through the human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Powers. Powerful passage. And uh, um, in a way to put this in a more modern term for us, this is a a quote from um, a passage from the book, The Hiding Place. And I want to show you how it is working out here. This is what it says. This is Corey writing in her book. It grew harder and harder. Even with these four walls, within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. Will you carry this too, Lord Jesus? But as the rest of the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear. And that was the reason the two of us were here. Why should others suffer? We were, why others should suffer? We were not shown. As for us, Betsy and Corey, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope, like waves clustered around a blazing fire. We gathered about it, holding out our hearts to its warmth and its light. The blacker the night grew around us, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all of these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let me pray. Father, um, we are weak vessels. But you are a powerful God. And we pray that you will give us grace and desire and confidence in your word and hope for broken lives, that we would go into the world and that we would not be afraid to speak the gospel. And if it means hard times for us, 
let us know that you have purposes in everything you do. Lord, forgive us for our tendency not to do this. Oh, Lord, for this church, I pray that you would pour out an evangelistic love in our hearts, that we would care about the lost and the broken, that we would not be content to just have believers here, but that we would have those who are longing to know about Jesus. And we pray these things by the power of your mind. Amen.